1: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year.
0: and welcome to the game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I'm here with a roundup of the best of the weekend's action. I love this whole idea of this being a 40 minute monologue and audience research shows that you would all rather listen to me for 40 minutes. However, sadly, I'm not allowed, so to offer some insightful punctuation and some different voices I have Pedro Pinto from CNN, I have Tony Barrett from Deepest Darkest Liverpool, and of course Rory K. Smith, who's from Surbiton or Richmond or someplace like that, but originally from Yorkshire, as we know. Davy Moyes is leaving us guessing about his new contract, so we're going to ask why so few British managers get the big Premier League jobs. But before that, we head to the Emirates. Rory, I'm going to start with you, because booze resounded everywhere at the final whistle. Uh, And once again, you pick up the paper and the complaints, sorry, as Wenger lost his way and this and that. I thought you wrote some very insightful things um, today, actually, about how when Wenger sort of followed other people's advice, like they told him, like, you need to make big money big money signings and buy superstars and he buys Arshavin and, you know, you need to uh, – uh, the squad is too young and inexperienced and he buys, like, Andre Santos and Gervinho and people like that. Uh, the kind of, When he follows other people's advice, he sort of loses his way. Is this kind of what's going on and – and did it take this defeat for people to kind of ratchet up the pressure, or was it just inevitable sooner or later?
1: No, I mean, it's just Arsenal, isn't it? They, they, I thought, funny, if I thought they turned a the corner this season a little bit, winning at Sunderland, it looked like they had a bit of kind of solidity, a bit of backbone to them. But then they go and do something like this, they'll probably beat Bayern. And then, you know, just there is no logic to Arsenal. I think I think the criticism that was directed at Wenger, or has been directed at Wenger, really since 2005, is fair. I think Arsenal were too young. I think they did they did have no plan B. They couldn't counter the concept of the defensive movement. Mid- Fielder, and I think that they they did have a lack of players who were ready now rather than for the future. But the problem is that because vendors had to make all these compromises. You look at Arsenal now, and you kind of wonder what are they for? They're not they're not the best the best looking side in the Premier League. They're not great. They're not no better to watch than Spurs or United or whoever else. They're not they're not young particularly. They're not they're not attractive. Kind of, they don't win trophies. So what what do Arsenal do? I think that's the question they they now have to address. Whether that's with Vendor as manager or at some point in the future without Vendor as manager.
2: You can't keep justifying um, staying with a manager who has visibly lost his philosophy, uh, goes out and makes buys that then don't justify his philosophy either. Um, I I said it four or five years ago. Sorry? Example. Well, when you get someone like um, Andre Santos, who so got, right, other than Andre Santos, you can we can't just pick on him every week, okay? You lose Song because a lot of people criticize the fact that you let all these super talented players like Sesk, like Nazari like Van Persie and I could go on for a while leave, but when you lose Song and you don't get another ball winning midfielder, you're asking for trouble. Especially when you get people like per- Mertesacker who's going to need time adapting to the Premier League and the pace of the Premier League you don't have anyone t- to protect a back four that hasn't been great that's been ravaged by injuries as well so I don't think he's built this team in a balanced way he hasn't g- Gone out looking for a spine that you can count on, and yes, he spent a lot of money on Arshavin and then played him out of position. Um, he, he's gone out and get got a, a Lukas Podolski, who I, I still think is, is is a good player. But from what I know and what I've been told by people at Arsenal, the players just don't believe in his methods anymore. And then when, when that happens, the emperor is naked, and someone's got to point and say you need to change. I think that's absolutely right but the
1: the, the names are quite telling so you've got Mertens after you've got I mean Santos we, we we don't need to concentrate on you've got Giroud you've got Diaby still there Arteta Vend, Vend, it's a squad that reads like Vendor's lost important players and gone out and bought whoever he could. There is no kind of holistic approach that Vendor's taken. What is the style of football that Arsenal are trying to do? Do they want winners who cross the ball for Olivier Giroud? Well, I don't know. They've got Podolski and Walcott, neither of whom are brilliant crossers of the ball. What is Arsenal's plan?
0: Tony, you're, you're outside the London media bubble. Um, how does Arsenal look from Merseyside? Well, for me,
3: it stands comparison with Venga's the season he's having now stands comparison with Benitez's last year at Liverpool, where the thing that was. How did I know past- there was
0: going to go? We were going to get a Liverpool and Benitez reference from you. <laughs> just because, just because
3: Benitez and Liverpool was the classic case of everyone looking at the manager and not looking enough at the board and at the owners and, and what was going on wrong above at the very top of the club. And Benita took all of the flack, which is not to say he didn't get things wrong. He clearly did. He made bad signings, as Wenger has done. He lost The players lost faith with him, as, as it appears as the case with Arsenal. And there's a lot of that happening at Arsenal that happened at Liverpool. But if you don't look at the owners and you don't look at the the way the club is being run if changing manager will have no positive effect whatsoever all you will do is get an inferior manager because the people who run the club won't be qualified to make a good appointment and um, you can just see Arsenal repeating the, the same mistakes Liverpool have done although I've, my feeling is that the Arsenal owners are quite happy the Arsenal board are quite happy for Wenger to be the cop and all the Go and every every week when the result goes on for Arsenal it's Arsene Wenger who's, who's in the firing line which I, I I understand in one respect because Arsenal should be more competitive but in, other, in another way I just think the well, well, Arsenal thing has proved himself he's proved himself over the period of time what's changed why has he stopped proving himself is it just the case of him going to fail is it just the case of him losing his way or are there other mitigating factors which would undermine any manager I think it is I think it's a, a blend of the two but I just think people need to look more at the club as a whole rather than just the manager as
0: an individual I think Tony um, great minds like because I think you hit the nail 100% on the head. Um, Arsenal have an owner. His name is Stan Kroenke. I think from the top they need to come out and make some kind of statement, especially now that you know this season the fans are restless. What kind of a club are we? This is a club that has made something like 160 million pounds in after-tax profit over the last five years. Come out and explain All right, our strategy is this We're going to pay off the stadium Or we're going to do this Or we're going to do that Or we're going to start competing Financially with other clubs Or we think Wenger Is the right man For this and that reason And this is how he's going to do it And and you need Stan Kroenke To come and do that Not not Ivan Gazidis Who I I really like the guy But Ivan Gazidis isn't the boss It's not his club He's an employee of Kroenke I think you need somebody to, to, To come out and make a statement Because right now I'm sorry The way it's looking to me Is that you know this guy who, you know, Silent Stan is sitting there on his butt could care less about winning and is just happy extracting as much money as possible from this club and seeing the value of the franchise, as he might call it, grow and grow. If that's what you want to do, fine. I, we live in a free world. It's your club. It's your money. They wouldn't let Usmanov, because he's weirdo and foreign, uh, buy the club. You got it instead. Good for you. But... I think you owe it at least to come out and say it. This is how I see my investment in Arsenal.
1: But the, the problem is, and the, kind of the mystery with Arsenal, is that they do have money to spend. The, the, figure, the figure kind of varies how much... The cash reserves. Yeah, the, they have these cash reserves, which which I think they're basically to, to ensure that they can keep on going. And that's fine. If you want to, sensible to save money in a recession, that's not a problem at all, although obviously it doesn't help the economy. They've dropped the cash reserves, but they have other monies that they can use. There, there's no short... It's not like Liverpool... But that's what t- they say. ...in 2010. Well, okay. this is the issue. So that's they, what... Our Wenger says, and we still can't agree Whether we believe him or not Liverpool in 2010 Had no money That was the problem there that the, As Tony quite rightly says that There was an issue With the owners That had to be looked at First and foremost With Arsenal We don't know if that's true We don't know Whether they have money And Vendor's refusing To spend it Does he wants To prove a point or whether they don't have money and Vendor is, is kind of concealing that fact. I don't know the answer to that question, but
2: finding out is pretty key. But, but, but you know what? As, as you mentioned Liverpool and, and as average of, as Liverpool have been in the last years, they still won a trophy. And, and I don't think that, that, that you can justify spending this much time as Arsenal without winning anything. It's just the winning mentality is not there. That they, they, they crumble. They don't have someone who has a character on the field of play, and you've got the, to blame the manager as well as well for that for not being able to well, foster hey, that kind of mentality. See,
0: speaking, speaking of the manager, um, I, I, I want to throw this out there just specifically on the game because it just struck me as kind of weird, right? I, mean, I think we look at the game. I think we would all agree that, and that we have to give credit to to the Blackburn goalkeeper. Um, um, Jake Keene, who'd imagine somebody named Keene doing something good for Blackburn, um, and, uh, and and Grant Hanley at the back, the whole defense. They hung They defended really, really well. We've all made the jokes about Venkies and the chicken and look, oh, how can they know anything about football? They're from Asia. And, then they and there's a and woman. There's a woman. There's a woman. What the women that. know? Exactly. Thank you, Mr. Gray. And then what happens is who do they appoint as their global well, – first of all, they, they get rid of Big Sam, who's fantastic. They appoint Steve Keene, the guy with the <laughs> – who, who gave the best explanation ever in the world for, for his drunk driving. Um, then, then he's gone, and then we criticize him for getting rid of him. Oh, but it's good, but they appoint Henning Berg. But then we criticize him for sacking Berg after two months, even though I think when – I mean, I, they, the season just started. But I think, well, I think I'm think i right in saying that when uh, when Keen took over, they were uh, – when, 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 sorry, when Berg took over from Keene, they were like third. And then when Berg was sacked, they were like way down the table. But that's okay. They're stupid and mean for sacking Henning Berg. And then they appoint Michael Appleton again, and and, and we're all talking about, oh, how silly. And we're all laughing at Shebby Singh. Now, I I even saw somebody go and describe, oh, Shebby, Singh, he's a TV pundit. Not even a football pundit. He was described as a TV pundit. Sheby Singh is a former international and a qualified coach, by the way. He may be a Malaysian international. But you know what? Um, I think we've seen great coaches from footballing backwaters. Um, including some in these very British Isles. So maybe some people should STFU, yes? Um, not you, Roy, I was just looking at you when I said that. Anyway, who's, who's laughing now? They've, I think Appleton's record four wins, two draws, and a defeat, something, something like that. Uh, they're going to play Millwall uh, next, which on paper at least you'd think that um, they'd be favored. Uh, should Do some people maybe suggest that maybe we were a little bit hard on Shebby Singh because he's so far outside the football fraternity? Roy, you like
1: sticking up for foreigners. Uh- I remember listening to Shebby Sin's interview on Six Zero Six a few months ago, and it was he's. I, I know someone who knows him, Shebby and he apparently is a really nice, really nice fella, really sort of passionate and knows his stuff. Interview was hilarious. Just he kept calling, oh, kept calling Robbie Star- Savage Darren. It was really weird. Um, anyway, the, um, was it because the guy with him was Darren Fletcher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? Um, he just no. In fact, he, uh, he, he called Darren Fletcher Robbie. He called both of them Robbie throughout the interview. It's fantastic. Anyway, Appleton's a good manager. Looks like Voldemort. That's important. He. They, they do, they've got it wrong a lot, Venki's. But it's important that we allow them the chance to learn from their mistakes.
0: Hey, Tony, if if Shibby Singh, if if his name were, were like Sam Stone, and you know he was from the Vauxhall Road in Liverpool, like our boss, would the media have treated him slightly different?
3: Yeah, I think they would. I
0: think that is in the English
3: media. Uh, I'm still trying to work out what STFU means. Uh, for, for I mean, you mean shut the of. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you couldn't say the the. But now I agree with that. I do think there is that in in the English media there is a, a feeling of, of superiority on a number of levels. Whenever foreigners are mentioned, there is a feeling of superiority, and that we can do things better than foreigners. Even though well, there is plenty of evidence to the not of that, and I, I think I think that applies
0: to to Blackbeard owners as, as much as it does to, to so many other factors. I I, I think if Shabby Singh um, Pedro had been I think he pays a price for being Malaysian. Um, I, I, I think, you know, had he been Spanish or Italian or German, people might have viewed it slightly different. But he came out with something which I think is right. He said, no, I don't see why we should give somebody a three year contract, a new manager. I'm going to give him a short term. I want to give him a short term contract so he can prove to me that he wants to be here, that things work. Because there's a lot more unemployed managers out there than there are football clubs. And to me, that just makes so much sense um, and yet we often live in all the culture of the manager and you need stability in three years, blah, blah, blah. I kind of feel like if you as a manager can't get respect, even with a short-term contract, maybe you shouldn't be managing.
2: So you're saying it wasn't a good idea to give him a, a deal like Alan Pardew, perhaps? <laughs> anyway, Burrus well, It's um, a different one because there's a million get outs. You know, yeah. And maybe it was right for them, but I mean in this case,
0: if you're appointing a new guy, why not go to Apple and say, hey, you're talented, show me what you can do in six months.
2: Yeah, well, why not? Uh, I, I, I don't think managers need that security. They don't have it anyway, even if they sign a two- or three-year deal. Well, they do, because um, then they get money and then they sue the club for more money. They
0: don't. Uh, they don't. Even though the they quit the week, week before the, the fans speak,
2: Martin O'Neill. Well, fans speak loud enough and managers get get sacked. That, that's just uh, uh, the way of life in, in, in the world of football. But um, yeah, let's see what this guy can do and we'll, we'll go from there. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that perspective. I right, to move on to
0: Liverpool and Swansea. Tony, you were there. Um, we, we touched upon this before, but uh, Michael Loudrup decided to rest everybody. I, I can see why. Uh, who knows when Swansea will get another shot at winning a trophy. Uh, they're in mid table. Can they kind of earn the right to go and put out a shadow squad, as some people like to call it, against Liverpool?
3: No, I think he are in the right and, and if Swansea win the Car- Capital One Cup next weekend I think, I think it will be vindicated but I, I just think they paid too much of a price it was, it was too much of a rotation and it was too much of a, of a dishevelled side Swansea being been in Dubai in, in the days leading up to the game and they went into the game with that kind of attitude that this particular football match didn't matter but where I do excuse up is these players can all head go kiss. kick tackle they can do all those things maybe not as well as the the players who, who arrested but they can do the basics of football and, and they didn't do that to, to, to any degree. they were actually embarrassing at times There's, I think Liverpool had 35 shots on goal which is the most by any team in Europe this season which is, which is ridiculous 22 shots in the first half alone the Swansea didn't compete and it's, and that to me it's, it's one of those where people will will rightly praise Liverpool make it they can only do what they can against the team that's in front of them but but when you start saying that about teams that you can only beat what's in front of you because what in front of you is not particularly good and Swansea were was spectacularly bad on the right.
0: What if we get to a scenario where it's Liverpool, Spurs, and Arsenal are all, comp- all competing for that fourth Champions League spot and the untold riches that come with it late in the season. And in the end, the difference is made by the three points that Liverpool got against Swansea. Given that well, we used to say that Arsenal used to get their way all the time with the league, but I mean, would might they have a strong case, Roy?
1: No, because they Swan, Swansea did put, did put out a weak side. Obviously, there's no denying that it had Gary Monk in it. The but they chose... Eleven players from their twenty five man squad and it's up to them how they want to, to use them. I don't agree with you, Dab, for once, on the issue of loudrup resting players. They had a week off, they've got a week, they're playing the lead two side. They didn't need rest. They could you could have played Mitchu for an hour, do you know what I mean? And try and get something that if it's not working, if you are two nil down fine. But there was no it's not like the Capital One Cup final is on Tuesday. They've got they've got a week to rest. And I, I personally feel that momentum is important. It's not like Swansea have got anything else to compete for Particularly for the rest of the season, that you know, there'll be.
0: Well, well maybe we, we wait to put in the boot to Loudrup if we see yeah, what happens. Yeah. If we lose to Bradford because he'll have momentum, then that's yeah. fine.
1: That's but, crucifying That's it. a but, different debate. Know. But no, they, they chose 11 players from their, from their 25 man, man side. I, I'm fairly sure Loudrup will have gone out and with a side that he thought could at least compete. If not, you know, he'll have gone trying to win. No manager ever goes into a game thinking, know, oh, it doesn't really matter. But. No, I don't. Think they'll be fine. They put out. I mean, and to be fair, that, that, you know, there were still two or three, maybe four or five players who would who were regular features of the first team in there. Um, all right,
0: enough Swansea um, for this week, um, Tony. Let's talk more Liverpool. I went um, Cucino. I saw him come on, and I, I thought he looked he looked like he's supposed to look. Um, well, what's sort of the early feedback on him? Because I mean, my take is always that this is a huge gamble you don't quite know what you're going to get so much upside but also so many concerns and they spent a lot of money on him how did he look to you?
3: The thing I like about Coutinho is he it talented and, and that may sound glib in a way but Liverpool haven't signed too many players of talent over the last few years they signed players who you you have certain qualities but not without that talent and he he has that he is the kind of sign that you can excuse not working out if it doesn't work out because he will come in and he will will provide quality there's no question about that he looks and performs on on first glance a lot like Luis Garcia who who people remember from a few years back he's very easy on the eyes. he's good with the ball his movement from the left to to inside is is impressive and creates space for Jose Enrique to overlap and he does all the things that you'd want a player wide of a front three to do. He looks good. The, the problem is, is that Swansea didn't test him in the way that he needs to be tested. There was no physical confrontation. There were no heavy tackles. And he was allowed to do to play the game as he wants to. And, and that's the question, mark: What happens with him when, when he can't play as he wants to? What kind of player is he then? Because I think we all know he's got ability. So the test is still to come for him. And the, but the early, the early signs
0: are positive because he is clearly a good footballer. Pedro is nodding along. I, I, think, you, I think you started. You're, you're nodding when uh, when Tony mentioned the fact uh, about you know him being a talented player. Maybe Liverpool not signing many talented players. I'm wondering if you have certain views on this point. I,
2: I agree with everything that, that Tony just said. That there haven't been that many players that have been technically gifted that Liverpool have gone out and uh, and signed. Maybe hard working players. Luis Suarez, Joe Cole. Suarez is a bit different though wouldn't he? Yeah, Suarez is the exception that proves the rule really and Joe Cole never really had a chance and I've always been a a Joe Cole fan. Um, Coutinho I was really surprised that Inter let him go. I know for a fact they have a lot of uh, financial uh, problems over there with Massimo Moratti and that's one of the reasons that, that convinced him to let him go every time I watched him play for Inter I was I was impressed every time I, I watched him play for, for Brazil's under 21 or under 20 team I was impressed this is a really good player physically he needs to bulk up a little bit uh, when he has a full season in England he's going to struggle but right now he can make a huge impact defenders aren't going to be too familiar with what he does and he's got speed he's got uh, skill he can go by guys and he's a perfect signing for, for Liverpool. Whether he plays behind the striker or plays on the wing, he will be a big plus in any any game Liverpool you choose to use him.
1: Pedro's quite right that he will, for his first season in England, his first full season in England, he will have to have more muscle mass. He'll have to be bigger. And that is what will ruin him as a player. Or what could ruin him as a player? The problem in England is that we take players like Coutinho, who've got uh, immense natural talent, and we force them to become athletes that they're not meant to be, and that impacts on how they play the game. So Liverpool would actually, in a sense, do well to allow to, to just accept that they've got kind of a left winger who's a bit a bit light and a bit kind of slender, who doesn't tackle particularly well, and occasionally doesn't get into games because right backs beat him up. If they want to maximise his t- his undoubted talent, there's yeah. no
2: point in having just a, a load of robots. Oscar um, Oscar is a little bit like that. Chelsea, and he's had a lot of ups and downs as well, because I don't mean necessarily that he needs to become... Um, you know, Hulk. All of a sudden, but but I just think that physically, from an endurance point of view, in the winter he'll struggle because yeah, he hasn't faced On that wet, kind of windy night. And no, no, but just the the, the constant games two right. two days, three and three days, um, he will struggle. It, Oster's is interesting though, because Oster, I was watching him play for Brazil. Oster
1: mm-hmm. in the Premier League looks really looks really light and sort of like he could be knocked over by a dust of wind. For Brazil at Wembley the, the, the other week, Oster had far more bite in his play than any of the other Brazilian players. It was quite. It, quite an interesting contrast is not what you expect from him. But there is a balance to be struck between getting them that, that stamina, that endurance, that physical ability to cope with England and not impacting on the way that they play the game, players like that. Because you can take players and make them too muscular and they, they don't have that suppleness of touch, that deftness to actually make the difference. And that's, that's something the English game loses out of.
0: We may have to pick this up, the whole like uh, the physical demands of the Premier League, you need muscles and stuff like that. We have to pick that up uh, uh, another time because... Um, I think you guys are both wrong, but we can discuss that. Problem? We can discuss that at a different. Occasion. I'm shocked.
2: I <laughs> you would disagree.
0: I want to. I want to throw it back and take this opportunity to praise Brendan Rodgers or something that to happened, Tony. I want to get you on this, okay? Because, all right, Liverpool went to, to play in St. Petersburg last week. Those who know the background is um, there's a group of St. Petersburg.
2: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
0: … supporters calling themselves Landskrona, They came out and uh, issued a manifesto saying that they believed that a uh, in, in local identity and so they only wanted people from I think it was sort of Russia, like Finland, uh, Eastern Europe and so on. Which I thought was kind of funny given that their manager is Italian and um, and they've got all these Portuguese players but beyond that. Um, and these guys – and also oh, they also didn't want any homosexuals either. So I guess they only wanted straight people from that part of the world. But and in the past, there have been, there have been incidents where, um, where they have racially abused opposing players, and there's a whole thing. That they've never really had any. How can I say this sort of fully black players? They have some mixed race players now, and even that's like seen like a small victory. But what struck me was the media in the days leading up to this game. They sent their finest men to St. Petersburg, uh, a very snowy St. Petersburg. As I, I think I saw from one of the, the photos uh, you tweeted, where the river was frozen and some whatnot looking for um, sort of racist hooligans and whatnot. You had Ian Ayer going and writing to the mayor of St. Petersburg, as if, what the hell is the mayor of St. Petersburg going to do? And I thought this was a classic ratcheting up of pressure, like, we're going to find these racists if they're out there. Well, guess what happened? The gang came off without incidents, and I have to give credit to Brendan Rodgers for coming out and pointing that out, that we were also freaked out by it, but on the day they were class. Were you expecting this?
3: I was expecting I wasn't expecting any problems and that was that was the big
0: issue for me the, is that because you're kind of a skinhead yourself at least yeah, in appearance yeah I mean skinhead ugly pale I'd fit I'd, I'd right in there you could you the play day. for Senate could you
3: I could play I, 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 I could sit with eighty-five. bit of a like communist future, too as I, I
0: understand <laughs> so perfect
3: <laughs> but the, it, you looked at you looked at their past it and it was up massively before and that, that they, there were going to be problems in this game and I looked at the, then it's recent past, and their most recent racist incident was, was two years ago, which is which is clearly too soon for any of us. You know, there's no personal bad, but it's it's too recent for Liverpool themselves have had an incident of racism since then. They've had a supporter who so was who was banned and fined for making racist gestures in a Manchester United game. So. Would the, would the Russian journalists now be okay to turn up at Anfield in the days leading up to, to the second leg and turn press conference into questions of racism in, in Liverpool will, will they then print the streets around Anfield and, and find basis which will exist because they exist in every city in the world is that now how it should play out should, should foreign journalists treat English football clubs the same way that we can sometimes treat Eastern European ones? i I thought it was a disgrace I was, I was absolutely uncomfortable in the extreme, in the press conferences leading up to the game because I I just thought that the Zenith were were, were unfairly maligned. Yes, they do have a problem. They have a problem with a minority. Uh, Their extremist group, I think, numbers 100 members uh, and they have tens of thousands of supporters. So I just think there was a complete loss of perspective. Um, And I I don't... I think it reflected particularly badly on the English media Bad than on Zenith.
1: I I liked the... um when the Zenit fans un- unfurled the Crimean War banner, the, the reports in, in one or two newspapers suggested that that was some sort of great insult to, to British history, and that they were, they were sort of taking taking, the, taking our Crimean dead in vain. It's, it's amazing what the media will do to. to Did drum that, up. that really happen? Yeah, there's a little not. Why the not kind so? of
0: papers that I don't read.
3: Yeah. I, just, I think it's a lot of this is, the, is the journalism of fear. The, the, the initial scare story means that Liverpool have to speak about the problem because if they don't it's derelict in a duty and, and not taking the issue seriously if, if there is a problem. I and mean, the journalists who don't want to write who didn't write the initial story and wouldn't want to then have to follow it up because they are scared that if something does happen they haven't taken seriously. And it's just it's just a story that was permeated by fear and, and by trying to cause fear. And I, I, I just think that is uh, it, that is a disservice to, to readers I mean, and it did it did do the disservice to Xenath and I agree that they do have a problem but there was no problem on that night, so it shouldn't have been anticipated. Let's see what happens. If it does happen, report it, condemn it, do whatever you like. But beforehand, there's nothing, there's nothing to report except, except trying to speculate and stealth it.
0: In our debate this week, we're going to talk about – we're going to talk managers um, because it's kind of interesting. This is the, was the week where, where Davey Moy said – told Everton, look, like, you know, I'm going to make a decision on my future um, at the end of the season uh, in terms of his contract talks. And you sort of look at – and I use the definition of big club rather loosely. I hope nobody gets offended. But by big club, for the purposes of this discussion, it's going to be a club with a large support and a lot of money to spend that can legitimately – uh, finish top four or expect to finish top four, right? So, no disrespect to Leeds, Leeds today, or or Newcastle or whatever. But having a look at this, if you if you look at the number of British managers who've, who've been employed by the bigger clubs over the last few years, you're basically talking uh, Harry Redknapp, um, you're talking Kenny Dalglish at, at Liverpool, uh, um, you're talking and I guess Kenny was also there back when Newcastle were spending, but that was more than a decade ago. You're talking Mark Hughes. Um, Roy Hodgson at Liverpool not for long and then of course we've got Brendan Rodgers today um, obviously the two biggest jobs Arsenal and, and United the, the same guy's been there the whole time but that's not a lot of turnover and not a lot of
1: opportunities Rory Um can you explain it? Well, I think first of all, we probably need to say that that it's not necessarily a problem with British managers. Loads of Scottish managers, no shortage of Scottish managers. Yes, at but all. they still
0: don't seem to get the. They still don't seem to get the top
1: job. I mean, well, you've, b- got, b- you've got Ferguson at Manchester United. I, I, pre- I Take I your think, point. I think it, Ferguson yeah. was appointed before you were born, back in 1986. And that's only just after I was born. The I take your point. I'm talking about so, you know, yeah, now. That if you if you got a if if United came up. Then they wouldn't necessarily look at a British manager. The outstanding candidates are not British. Yes, I agree with you. Yep. But I think in terms of managers being produced, the problem is not in Britain. I think the problem is in England, generally. I think that if you look, I think that is a point that needs making. You obviously don't agree, but fine. What, why it has become an issue? I think is partly in, is partly to do with fashion. I think that there is a a sort of convert, almost like a, an inverse. There's almost an inferiority complex in, when it comes to managers that in the same way you get loads of African countries who've got perfectly good managers themselves who insist on getting these random Frenchmen to manage them. In, in mid-table Premier League clubs, there is a perception that you have to have a foreign manager because they're more um, sophisticated, they're more tactically sort of astute.
0: You say that, but how many mid-table uh, English clubs have foreign managers apart from Swansea? That's a good question. Okay, I don't have
1: yeah,
2: the... Okay,
0: sorry. Yeah, right. I'm not... Why you not, come not, back to me
2: later? Pedro. I'm really passionate about this because I, I see the Premier League and I see British football from an outsider's point of view. And I think it, it goes back to mentality from the oldest coach to the youngest fan and the mentality here in Britain. And I'm the first one to say that I, I love the passion that people have about football here. But it's too much about the running, it's too much about the fighting, it's too much about the working and not enough about technique. And I think uh, British football is stuck 20 years behind most other prominent countries around the world where you go to a stadium and if a player tries a flick or a trick and misses he's going to be jeered for the rest of the game even by his own fans and people just need to appreciate that football has moved on no matter how hard a team or a player is going to work if they're not as good and not as talented as someone else they'll lose and it's not unfair it's just the way that football is and uh, you look at, at the, the, the the few British players that I consider to be really technically gifted. They're not given a lot of chances. And I look at Adam Johnson, I look at Joe Cole, and these guys were marginalised because they didn't have that workhorse mentality, because they weren't as consistent as everybody else. And I think it goes to the managers as well, because a lot of the international players that are coming into the Premier League more and more every year, they won't adapt to that kind of mentality. I've been
0: there for, for one La- second. Sorry, no, no. Did you mention Adam Johnson and Joe Cole? I think let the record reflect Joe Cole was marginalized by Jose Mourinho at Chelsea who's not a British manager and Adam Johnson was marginalized by Roberto Mancini at City who's not a British manager there you go I'm sticking up for, for British managers
2: sure but it was the it was the the, the only well with Adam Johnson, it was the only top club where he played where expectations were high for a player and I think Samir Nasri has been a lot worse than Adam Johnson ever was but since he's foreign then that's fine. Since he's English it, it doesn't really go along with the mentality. And, and Joe Cole still played at Chelsea and played well. He wasn't marginalized he was just moved to the left wing where perhaps he wasn't as bench. affected.
1: But I, I would say, I think Pedro has a, has a that's a really good point that whether the managers themselves are foreign or not, the culture is of running, of athleticism, of work first and foremost. The, the foreign managers who succeed in England tend to be the ones who prioritise that. Look at Mourinho and Mancini. They're not they're not exactly sort of aesthetes are they? They're, they're managers who want to win first and foremost, and the way to win in England is to run and to fight and to do yeah, and to tackle and all that. I think they
0: did pretty well. I mean, for, for a while.
1: Yeah, but they, those Arsenal sides were athletic. They were they had different qualities that that worked well in England, because they didn't exist anywhere else, but they were also they were if you look at those those Arsenal sides between 98 and 2005, they're massive and they were quick. What I would say is that, that England has an attachment to that cult, that footballing culture of running of work that we've had that's been in existence for so many years for decades. And now it's an it's an inherently reactionary football culture. We don't look forward, we don't try and change. I spoke to um to someone in, in Germany the other week who was telling me Klaus that, that Bastian Schweinsteiger is finished. Bastian Is twenty nine and in Germany there is a there is including Olaf Tarn who's who's a, a pundit over there now, there is a feeling that Schweinsteider ha- is now too old-fashioned for football because people like Il- Ilkay Runderdan do what Schweinsteider does much quicker, much more directly and much more effectively. In England, we still look back to how football used to be and when we try and change, right. it is to catch up with foreign to- nations.
0: Sorry, I, I, Tony, um, I, I need to, to balance out this negativity coming from, from the studio. Can you give me some hope here, perhaps, in the guise of, 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 of David Moyes because... He seems to be the the, the one guy that's that, that you know w- we all praise over the years. His achievements at Everton are, are obvious in, in difficult circumstances. I made the point that whenever Chelsea change their manager, they should at least interview. You know they should have a they should have a Rooney rule for David Moyes and at least interview him, see what he has to say, um, rather than hiring the next old Benitez that comes along. But hey, that's just me. But um, is. I, how, how do you see Moyes? Is there almost an, an ingrained bias against against British managers? Given that I said you can count them on one hand, the ones who got legit jobs where so they could actually do something.
3: No, I, I don't see that. I just think there's a, there's a combination of factors which mean that British managers don't get a chance when these jobs come up. If, if, you, if you use Moyes as an example, the, the next time the Chelsea job comes up, which will probably be very soon. They, they I would be surprised if they consider Moise because he has no Champions League experience if you're a club that wants to win the Champions League do you give a manager who's a novice at that level of job I just well, don't Mourinho think
0: had no Champions League experience when he won the Champions League I mean what, what, I, I don't no, know that's
3: true but that, that is the way it works in, port, in Portugal it doesn't work like that so I agree with you that that is a different thing but I do think it, it would be easier for that to happen in Portugal than it would do here I think Chelsea she themselves a club who should be challenging for the Champions League not one where it'd be a bonus if you do well in it which is, which is what it was for Portugal that year the same way it was for Liverpool the year after it was an absolute bonus and it was unexpected people didn't think they would win it whereas Chelsea Roman which expects them to win he expects them to compete be top four playing the best football now if you're looking to do that it's very very difficult to, to pick David Moyes and that for me will be the thing that I think could end up squeezing a manager of, of David Moyes' quality out of English football. I think he, he will look at Everton and think he can't do it there. And I think the clubs where he could do it won't give him a chance. And, and that is that is the problem. He will be looking at the German League, which he is a big fan of. And he's always said he'd like to work there. And he may get a chance in Germany that he maybe maybe wouldn't get in England. So I, I agree that that does sum up the problem. But I don't know how you get it because it if you're Chelsea, you want to prove a manager, and David Moyes, at European level, he's had a couple of cracks at the Europa League. He hasn't proven, himself he's struggled at that level.
0: Lansley's not here, so I'll throw the question to you, Tony. Is this something that St George's Park can fix with its great resources and everything?
3: no not for me and <laughs> for, for me it all comes it, it come down to English coaching the I, 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 I really will remember this we, we were with the current England manager when he was at Liverpool and, and we asked him about his managerial influences yeah. and considering this as someone who'd spent uh, much of his career abroad who'd, who'd been involved in football as he you, always reminds everyone for 37, 38 years and who I, to add, I think is doing a decent job at England despite the fact I'm not a particular fan he told us that as managerial the greatest influence in, in coaching were Charles Hughes uh, Don Howe people of yeah, that Yeah, and, and, and that was that was the moment where it, it, that I, I was scared to be honest I sat there and thought there is nothing progressive about coaching if this is the manager who who is the man to take Liverpool forward and is the man to take England forward then that is, that is worrying I, I spoke to Young coaches at, at Liverpool's academy, who, when the Spanish coaches arrived to, to take over youth development, day, they they were worried. They worried about the change, what it would bring. And to a man, they all told me that the standard of coaching rose inexorably after after they arrived because the Spanish coaches were far superior. And I, I just I just think in England you will get. The level of managers you deserve because of the standard of the coaching that that is prevalent in this country. I, I think it's very difficult to, to separate the two.
0: All right, time now for some quick hits. Chelsea make hard work of it, but eventually get rid of Brentford. Uh, Rory John Terry denies reports of a bust-up with Rafa. Even as Manuel Pellegrini's agent links him to Stamford Bridge. Uh, does Manny fit the profile?
1: Uh, plays nice football, nice fella, good record. Proven winner, I think it's probably fair to say, isn't he? He's had enough success to be considered a winner. Be quite dignified when he was in- inevitably sacked. Yeah, then he'd, he'd be perfect. I, what I don't understand though is is what the criteria for the Chelsea manager are. If Palladini is a contender, Bec- be they just it, this whole Chelsea have jumped the shaft as a football club is basically what I'm going to say. Palladini is kind of like a, a Chilean Ancelotti
0: with uh, less less success, fewer Champions Leagues, and um, but much much better dressed than Ancelotti. Tony, you love talking about Everton, so talk to me about the 2 2 draw with Oldham, and in particular, that insane late goal by Matt Smith. We all love underdog stories, but Dean Buzanis and, and that other guy uh, uh, just basically barreling into Tim Howard. Uh, did the referee lose his whistle?
3: I thought Kildall, but uh, definitely got caught up in the game throughout I I think he refereed it as an English cup type and that did mean that there were certain very very blatant fouls and that didn't go punished didn't get booked and and if that happened at the the end it was only in keeping what what happened in the rest of the game but Ogun deserved the draw but however the game came about they deserved the draw which again David Moyes
0: admitted Uh, Wigan cruised through the quarter final with a 4-1 win at Huddersfield Um, Pedro I know you'd love to talk in detail about that game but instead I'm just going to ask you whether uh, this is a distraction in Wiggins' battle to avoid the drop. And if they do go down, will it mean Roberto Martinez won't get the top job he supposedly deserves?
2: I think winning is contagious. So... When you win, I don't think that's ever bad for your team. So I don't think it could be a distraction. They'll, they'll see it for what it is. They'll go as far as they can. They'll still invest most energy in, in staying up in the Premier League. Um, Roberto Martinez should get a crack at a, at, a, at, a, at a team with more talent and more resources. I think if they go down, that'll happen. You find Davy Moyes gets some of the – I
0: wonder if Roberto could be going the way of, of Davy Moyes, the way he's going. Uh, Millwall bring non-league Luton's run to an end, and we have to call him non-league Luton, of course. Uh, the whole city apparently goes on lockdown as police fear the return of the bad old days of hooliganism. Right. 2013, not 1985. Was all this really necessary? With hindsight, uh, is it a case of better safe than sorry? And are some clubs still stuck
1: in the 1970s, or at least their supporters? Uh, I think elements probably of every club's supporters are stuck in the 1970s. Millwall have had a, a bad press recently, but on, there's, there's no club in Britain that does more work to try and counteract its, its negative image than Millwall, and they deserve—they keep telling us—they deserve immense credit for that, and they do tell people often enough to make sure we all know. Um, I suppose it 's the same with the the previews about the sort of the night of shame, the night that changed English football uh, to the stuff that, that preceded the the, the liverpool Zenit game it 's yeah there isn't it is journalism of fear to an extent to say that it, you know this is what happened when these two last met in the cup what if it happened again i don 't think there was ever a possibility it would ever it would happen again on that scale or in, indeed at all it passed off relatively peacefully I think the game um. But that said, it was an important historic, it's a quote of history, they got each other again, and it was an important night in English football's history, That March 13th, 1985, no question about it.
0: Probably a good thing that uh, it passed off without incident. Manchester City pummel Leeds 4-0. Tony, it's your call. Would you rather talk about City's chances of now going on a run and closing the gap at the top, the way we seem to do every week until they lose, or do you want to talk about Warnock blaming that insane mess with the takeover for his team's poor performance because it's always somebody else's fault?
3: exactly Neil Warner blamed on someone else Sheffield United's relegation was blamed on absolutely everyone Carlos Tevez Rafa Benitez anyone he possibly could he'll do, he'll do the same thing at Leeds he will, he will pass the book I mean for me I, I'm not a Warnock fan, I think, I think he's one of those managers who's symbolized by a player who, who's tended to follow him down. probably, agree, and that player is Michael Brown. He, he enjoys anti-footballers, and, and therefore he, his teams play anti-football, so, so I've, I've got no problem, but Leeds dispense with the services, I think Leeds United are much better.
0: And who knows, maybe with this whole GFH insanity, they may yet get it. Former Leeds player and U.S. international Robbie Rogers has come out as gay shortly after announcing his retirement at age 25. Uh, uh, Pedro, he wrote poignantly about how he now felt free to be himself. I'm just wondering, should we somehow be celebrating this? Obviously, we want the guy to be happy and everybody should be happy. But should we also be seeing this as uh, maybe a failure of football that this guy who presumably loves the game felt the need to quit football before he could come out?
2: I think we should do both. We should celebrate the fact that he had the, the courage to do it, and we should be lamenting the fact that he feels he can't be accepted. Um, it, it is crazy how uh, macho and misogynistic football still is, and uh, hopefully it'll change in the future, but he visibly thinks that, that he wants to dedicate his energy and time to, to something else, and perhaps some one of those things could be uh, leading campaigns to, to open the minds of a lot of people who are making decisions within the football world. So, uh, down the line, it won't really matter what what sexual orientation the player has. Just reading his blog was fantastic. I sort of
0: saw how normal the guy is. He's all excited that, you know you know what he what he did. He got an internship at Men's Health Magazine, um, which I thought. And, and he's into clothes and fashion. And I thought you know, good for him. There is life after football.
1: Gab, one for you. Not much of a title race in the Premier League, La Liga, or the Bundesliga this year, with teams all having massive gaps at the top. What's it like in Italy?
0: It's close, yes. There's a four-point gap between Juventus and Napoli, but the real problem is that Napoli are one of those teams that always bottle it when they get a chance to close the gap. Juventus lost on uh, Saturday night to Roma, very emotional night for Roma. Totti scored goal number 224 of his career, now just one goal away from second on the all-time City Scoring Chart. So you figure Napoli, hey, they're at home against uh, some dory side that's so-so. We'll get the three points, close the gap. But no, they were terrible. Some of their best players were very, very poor. I think I've ever seen him play this bad uh, And it was a nil-nil draw So the, the lead stole four points And uh, to add insult to injury um, Marek Hamsik held up at gunpoint In his car on his way home From the ground And they stole his very expensive watch that's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun and it's been real. Thanks to my guests, uh, Pedro Pinto from CNN World Sport, Rory K. Smith, and of course, from the place they call Merseyside, it's Tony Barrett. You can uh, come find us on Twitter. We're all on there. We'd all love to hear from you, especially Pedro. Uh, you can also email us, as so many of you do every week, at gamepodcast at Remember, you can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your views, web chats, blogs, analysis you get to enjoy my blog on Tuesday and my web chat as well also let's plug Pedro's uh, show on CNN, CNNFC. FC it's a football show and uh, Michael Owen has already been, been on this season so presumably you won't see him again for a while uh, till next time, take care